0: as a society we're, we're starting to welcome the idea of, of machines being intelligent um, you know it's not the same machines are taking over the world I, I don't agree with that sentiment but you know if we can make faster decisions with better information then we should invest in, in that stand I
1: Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 342. Today is Sunday, the 22nd of September 2019, and this interview is with Sean Moore. Sean is the founder and CEO of Trueface AI, providing facial recognition for real world applications. Sean's at the cutting edge of object and facial recognition, a hot and sometimes controversial topic. In this conversation with Sean, we look at the state of the art of facial recognition. Some of the key ethical and privacy issues, the regulatory environment, and how Trueface is working with government and Fortune 500 customers, including on age verification solutions for gambling, tobacco, and alcohol. A fascinating topic. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am MinterDial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Sean Moore, great to have you on the show. You're piped in from California. We met at COGX, the wonderful AI Thanks. conference in London, and you are, you've are you been for now six years uh, running a fantastically interesting uh, project called TrueFace.ai, which is dealing with this thing called facial recognition so in your own words how would you describe yourself sean
0: Uh, i would describe myself as the uh, the leader of a computer vision company that's trying to ingest the unbelievable amount of data that we have and make sense of it in real time or, or after the fact so you know more of a focus on computer vision now but facial recognition is our bread and butter and we've been doing it for like you mentioned six plus years
1: that's great. Well, in those six years, one of the, 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 the imag- what I have to imagine is the evolution of the technology. In part, that has to be because you've got now more images and data sort of in your pipe. But what took us through how it's evolved and where we are in terms of the state of recognition of the face and what are the subtleties? Maybe give us a little insight as to where we are now.
0: Yeah, we've we've definitely been in at the ground level for the innovation in which is the sensor technology, uh, latency, and you know just facial recognition as a as kind of a, a siloed algorithm. Um, you know, with the enhancements in machine learning and really just generally artificial intelligence, it's significantly more efficient and possible to run facial recognition on low compute devices or at the edge or in real time. And so you have to have this. Perfect storm of technologies meeting uh, at the intersection, and that's why we're able to do what we are today. So, facial recognition, you know, has been around since the '60s, and it was handwritten at that stage. You were literally taking, you know, two mathematical images and, and trying to compare the two. And it well, wasn't like, an, like
1: like criminal records.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and you had you know individuals who were writing basically the proportions of the face by hand, and then trying to overlay those. So it was a you know very manual process and it wasn't until I would say 2013-2014 where we saw this technology in a sense where it could be used for things outside of law enforcement or very heavy compute power, you know, a, a lot of money had to be invested to use this technology. Now it's commercialized in a phone, uh, you know, it's at the airports, uh, we're looking at it for banking, for retail. And so you know, it went from a, a very old technology to now we can, we can basically create a mathematical representation of the face. It's 512 different proportions of the face and do that in milliseconds. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we've advanced on is the ability to create those templates. And, and the, the industry right now is at 700 templates a second.
1: When you look at a face... Are there some faces that are harder than others? Uh, you know I think of the biases we end up talking about?
0: Yeah, that's a great question and is something that's, that's definitely a to, you know a hot topic and has been for the last couple months. So the algorithms themselves do not have trouble when looking at faces of, of all color, ethnicity, age ranges, male, female, and so on. It is a mathematical representation. So if the geometry is there, then we can we can make sense of that face. Where bias starts to play in is really on the data collection and data training piece. And so, if you're collecting data that is biased towards one gender, one ethnicity, one race, then the output is also going to have some bias to it. And so, when when you were seeing the headlines about facial recognition having a racial bias, um, that was largely in part due to the publicly available data sets companies were training their models on. If you've got public data sets that are biased towards, you know. One race the outputs going to be biased. It's not the algorithms that are biased. It's not the teams that are biased It is simply the data wasn't collected in a proper and proportionate manner So the only way to reduce that bias is to go collect data that is representative of Global ethnicity or for for whatever area you're deploying that technology. It's representative of you know that demographic or that makeup there
1: when you have a face You have the, the, let's say, one shot. At some level, I was imagining that you kind of need to have 90 degrees or a scan that takes you from several portions of your face to really constitute an accurate scan. But um, most of the time, you have to be dealing with one image, I'm guessing. How do you go? can, Can you go from one image to then recreate everything around my face?
0: You can. Um, and there's a, a very good company here in the U.S. that makes 3D renderings of, of an image. So it's making predictions on the rest of your face. We actually don't need that. Um, so we can take a face on or even a side profile and make a prediction that's accurate enough to give us a positive identification. So it's, it's really it gets back to to the math behind it if we load the system with enough training data that is half faces, full on faces, faces from afar, faces in low light then you know we have enough data input to start to make predictions on on what the face face looks like even if we don't have you know more than 60% of that face so the confidence thresholds will be lower the accuracy will be lower but if it does reach a certain percentage then we can we can inform that person reading that 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 could be a positive identification. So it depends on the sensitivity in which you're running the technology, but if it's for something like law enforcement who only wants an 80% hit, then, you know, then it's enough to investigate further. That's not to say that it is that person, but it's enough to say, okay, we should take a further look into, into this person.
1: Right. So the 80% is sort of to open the pan, the box, but then, then it presumably has to get closer and closer to 100% as we get into conviction.
0: Correct. Correct. So it's not meant to make a decision at all. It is meant to say, here is an extra point of data that you otherwise wouldn't have had. Use this as a tool in your larger tool set. And I think the, the New York Times had a really good article about an officer in New York who had, who had gone on and said, look, we're not using, first of all, we're not using this technology in real time, which everyone was concerned about. They're only using it forensically, and they're only taking it as one data point to then you know, build a case with. So it's a component to that case. It is not the case. It is not the final decision. It is not the means to a conviction. It is an extra source of information to help them do their already very difficult job.
1: At True Face, you, you really do talk about trying to do it the right way and and obviously facial recognition gets a hell of a lot of bad press it is almost uh, you know probably i can just imagine editors desk saying where what can we where, how can we you know ram home some bad news about facial recognition i mean it doesn't take there's the uh, the face app that that's that's run by that russia-based uh, company that's sort of going crazy on facebook and then you got basically china which seems to run the gamut of all the bad and badness in it. How do you manage the, you know, if you, if you license your, your material, how do you actually end up controlling how it's being used? Because in the end of the day, it's not your fault. It's just how they use it.
0: Right. We, you know, we're fortunate to be able to pick our clients and we spend minimum four, usually six months with them getting to know exactly how they're using it, training them on it, so we have the insight before it ever goes live whether or not they have the ability to use that properly or improperly, and we would just completely cut it off if we saw any indication that they were not going to use it correctly. And so part of you know part of what we do from a architecture standpoint is to to have privacy by design. So for you know facial recognition in schools, which is a hot topic here in the U.S., we have built in the programmatically the ability to blur faces in real time if it is students. So we're actually not taking the biometric information. It's not being stored anywhere of those students. We're only looking for people that are potentially threatening to that environment. And so we can do that from our side and enable that. So the school would never have the ability to 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 use that improperly, you know, from that perspective. Law enforcement's the same. You know, a lot of the times you have a lot of faces in these in these video feeds but you're only looking for one. And so, being able to blur everyone's face, except for that significant person of interest... Excuse me. God <laughs> bless you. It is important there. And so, you know, we have our best use guidelines. Uh, they have to sign off on our term and condition, terms and conditions, which state that, that they are going to use the technology in a proper way. Ultimately, you know, we have the final say whether or not they can use that technology. But to your point, you know... It, it is a risk, I think, that people will misuse this technology as we've seen in China, as we've seen in Russia. And it is critical that there is transparency in the market and that there's accountability. So, you know, our company as a, a provider of computer vision needs to be held accountable. The, the clients that are using our technology need to be held accountable. And in an environment where it's running, where you're not giving permission or you're not opting in, there needs to be a signifier that says facial recognition or, you know, Analytic software is being used here and and that kind of brings me to another point is There's three real silos of facial recognition. One is the personal opt-in So your phone you are using that technology on your phone to gain access to your accounts your text messages your emails or so on Risk is very low then there's the public opt-in. So it's the airports. It's you entering work with your face uh, for when ATMs release it you you know you are making a decision to use this technology for either security or efficiency, convenience as well. So those are two of the big silos that no one talks about. The third, which everyone talks about, is this idea of surveillance. Are we under surveillance at all times using our faces? And you know, I know a lot of the people using this technology, and that's just not the case. You know, I do know there's an issue over in London right now with the Met Police and then the South Wales Police using this technology. So, you know, we are starting to see people explore the idea of using facial recognition in real time across a wide span of people, and that's where it is critical to have proper regulation. But it has to be informed, right? It has to have you have to have an informed decision there. So instead of hearing one side that just says facial recognition is bad, it cannot be used, shut it down, you've got to talk to the people that are building these companies that know the limitations, because you know. My 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 issue with this here is how do you give the commercial environment access to this technology, but not the police forces who need it more, you know, who, who can do their job better with it. And so, I, I think it's just a very big risk to drive, you know, for fear to drive this decision of well, we shouldn't use it at all, and then we fall, you know, another two or three years behind China in development of this technology. So, you know, it, it is a very sensitive topic, but it's one in which there needs to be public discussion and it cannot be one-sided. You know, everyone has to bring their chips to the table to make a rational and informed decision about
1: this. Yeah, we end up, because it's so close to our emotions, spewing out and coming up with ideologies that aren't based on, on facts. And and when you look at the the desire to live in a safe place where... Murderous criminals could be identified you 'd be quick to say well i 'd want that, of course, unless you're a murdering criminal right. then on the yeah. other side, but i don 't want to give up my privacy you know and 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 to have that frank ability to understand what is the equation that works
0: right it's not there is no right answer at this stage, and you know I think we found that out with the likes of social media where people were signing up for it and did understand that their information was being sold to a third party. And then they're up in arms because they didn't read the terms and conditions. Well,
1: of course, the terms and conditions are you know 16 miles long, as right. in the case of the the face app uh, by right. this company, wireless lab. They they say they can use it in perpetuity for whatever wish reason they want, and and that's clearly going down a wrong
0: path. Absolutely, absolutely. But even when people hear about that, you know, there's 150 million people that downloaded it and use that app, and that's just in the U.S. I think, you know. There, it just doesn't make sense to me and you know if if the government wants to monitor you they can do it through facebook they can do it through snapchat through instagram through your credit card statements through your travel statements so there're all these sources of information out there but you know i think the i guess i don't understand the divide between what that is doing what they're capable there with and then with you know adding analytics or insight into the already existing camera infrastructure these cameras are there. They're not putting up new cameras. They're not installing new cameras all over the world. I mean, they are, but not to the extent in which they're already there. So the infrastructure is already there. You're already being monitored, quote unquote, when you enter these these premises. And you know the number one goal of law enforcement is to protect the civilians, to protect mm-hmm. people who live there. It's safety. And so you know the question is, when are we willing to give up our Supposed privacy, which I don't think we have at all anymore (laughs) the safety or the well-being of the population and you know Unfortunately, we've seen too many events happen at concerts at sporting events where you have threatening people who, you know may or may not have been on a watch list where this technology could have identified them and we could have stopped something from happening yeah. so it's just a, it's a difficult difficult conversation to have well
1: because the narrative of the panopticon where we you know everything's being surveilled you know, under surveillance and 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 really it's maybe the trust in who's actually surveying which right. is at, at stake here and and in some countries the state the, the organ you know the uh, overseeing government isn't really trusted at all, and that's sort of what seems to be happening around the world.
0: yeah, I think tr- you mentioned it very well trust it's all about trust, trust and transparency here, and you know it's the responsibility of the the person using this technology to to hold themselves accountable to say this is how we're using it, this is where it's being used. And this is the information we're collecting. This is how we're storing it. This is how it's encrypted. This is why your information is not being sold to a third party. And you know, it's critical that the technology, from an architecture standpoint, is built to handle that. Right. It needs to, it needs to run on those lo- you know, that local infrastructure. It needs to be siloed off. Data doesn't need to be stored together. You know, so I think there's there has to be a lot of collaboration between the ultimate user and, and the builder but then the public has to feel comfortable with it.
1: So in terms of the state of the art, you know obviously we're getting closer and closer to 100% ability it's it's moving towards that. You yet you have you go to the Heathrow the e and and you still have to take off your glasses and take off your hat. I I, I sometimes I I I marvel as to whether they actually are doing a, a real check in the background. I heard that that wasn't the case, that they were still actually had human oversight of all these checks. And yet on the other side, you now have glass companies that are actually promoting or visors that protect your identity from these type of monitors. I was wondering to what extent you believe those visors work and are you having to work to go through them?
0: I, I believe they probably do to an extent, but you, as that visor manufacturer, would need to know a lot about how facial recognition works. So, you know, in that in that regard, I question your incentive. Why are you hiding? Um, right. Really, why are you hiding? And if, if we know what those visors look like, we can just train our algorithm to pick those visors up as a ha- you know as a hack attempt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think from a kind of like a an airport perspective. Um, if you're wearing a visor, it probably looks a bit more Suspicious. Strange. Yeah. Yeah, out of the ordinary than otherwise. And, you know, at, at LA here, um, we actually, we have the facial recognition gates from LA to London and I've been through them a few times. And the last time I went through, I said, you know, I just want to opt out of this just to see if they would give me, you know, an issue or it, it would become a thing. And it and they said, you know, just use your normal ticket. So great. Thanks. You know, it was that simple. Um, but it does cut the boarding time from 45 to 25 minutes. And it's efficiency, right? And, and everyone wants efficiency. And, and that company, you know, the, the airline knows that they get more planes through there, they get more people through there, it's more revenue to them, and so on.
1: And satisfied because they are doing it in 25 This is British Airways, I'm assuming, right. because they're quite advanced on this. In terms of recognition, I mean, I'm a neophyte. When you say I really don't, I'm obviously not knowledgeable. But between a fingerprint and a facial biometry. W- tell us which one's really unique. I mean, are, is there a mini or somewhere else? Uh, <laughs> and, and is the same true about, you know, fingerprints?
0: So, you know, I think fingerprints were good for, for the purpose they served at the time back in you know, 2010 to 2015. Um, facial recognition has the potential to be just significantly better based on the data that, that we can collect. So it's very difficult to collect a lot of fingerprints around the world and train models on fingerprints. So you have to do something like a one-to-one match, in, in which it should work very well. But with the accessibility of faces, people, you know, taking pictures, posting them online, you know, now now people are sending images into facial recognition companies for money. So I, I just think that the the abundance of facial recognition data is so much greater than it is for fingerprints that you know. The propensity for that technology to advance faster is it's just so much more. So, you know, with that said, we're already, you know, today is the, the worst in which we'll ever be with facial recognition, the worst accuracy you will ever see. And we're already reaching, you know, 97 to 99 across the board. So it's only going to improve. And I do think that we're at a stage now where, you know, on some of our benchmarks, we're hitting high 99s. So, it, you know, it's there. It's there. It's ready to be used. Uh, Glasses shouldn't matter. Mustache beard shouldn't matter. Scarf shouldn't matter. I think that they're likely taking precaution at the airport, and they want a clear. You know, they want the clear image so that if anything was to ever happen, they can say, well, we got the best image possible. And uh, you know, I think airports are already a very tension-driven place. No one's happy, and so you know, smoothing that process. I think. Gets people's head around the the efficiency and the convenience of this technology.
1: So when you look at the face, how much is in the eye? We talk about the iris scan and that sort of biometric, uh, you know, entry port. Is the, if you look at the face, what is the, what are the most distinguishing components? I mean, you must you, you must have a breakdown of all that.
0: Uh, the nose actually oh. is. One of the bigger ones, so just because of the variability in in people's noses hmm. it, it, you know it, it's a signifier um so if you were to cover your nose completely, it would be you know difficult to to get an accurate response there and And like I said earlier, we're taking you know proportions, mathematical representations of the face of which outputs to five hundred and twelve digits. So it is a pretty in-depth and microscopic view of what the face looks like, and and I'd I'd estimate that that advances with time. So, you know, 3D capture is also big. Having depth there adds another layer, Um, but we need to get very, very good with 2D 2D because of the 650 million cameras deployed around the world, 99% are 2D.
1: Right, and a lot of these CCTV uh, equipment just don't have enough resolution.
0: Right. And so there needs to be updates. Um, you know, we do things on the software side to enhance that footage. But, you know, ideally, it has to be over 640 by 480.
1: So you live in San Francisco, right?
0: Uh, Los Angeles. Uh, L- LA,
1: sorry. All right. In you California. Just, yeah, Close. Yep. Uh, wrong. <laughs> um, but I was uh, reading how uh, Oakland and San Francisco, amongst others, or at least those two, have banned facial recognition. What does that mean and does that worry you
0: I it doesn't worry me because of the way in which it was quote unquote banned uh, so San Francisco didn't actually ban the technology they said that for law enforcement to local law enforcement not federal local law enforcement to use the technology they need a warrant so they need a reason why and I think that's fine you know I think I think great um, it's a that's a good step in regulation. Unfortunately, it's happening, you know, city by city, where it really should happen federally. Um, it, it'll be an interesting, an interesting navigation point for commercial companies and the government to navigate state by state regulation. So I think it has to come from the top down here. It has to be a federal regulation. The interesting component to that is it, it, it only requires law enforcement to get a warrant. So you, as a commercial client, can use it wherever you want. Um, so you know, it's it's really not that concerning to us. Um, San Francisco wasn't using facial recognition when they banned it. So, you know, it's not, it's nothing lost there. Uh, Oakland's, you Oakland's know, a bit different and then Somerville out, out on the East coast, they're also in the process of banning it. Again, I think that, you know, there needs to be a conversation before people react. And unfortunately, you know, there's pressure to react very quickly in, in this always on, you know, open lines of communication world. And it's not always the right decision. And so I I think that we need to take a step back here. We can't stop the progress of the technology, we need to take a step back and say, okay, if you want to regulate this technology in your local, you know, in your city, let's figure out a way to regulate it the right way, but still provide access to you know the right tools. So it's not a concern to me, really, you know, I think what's happening over in London is likely more of a concern from a adoption standpoint. But uh, you know, I just I just don't see it being a, a big issue here in the US at this stage.
1: Right. So you you've started this business uh, six years ago, and uh, and it's obviously a booming business. How do you assess the size of the business? I mean, and and what's the potential for TrueFace? There's presumably a lot of competition too.
0: You know, there is. Uh, we started off building custom hardware, custom cameras, and embedded facial recognition. So you know, our our framework for where we are today was access control, uh, operating in very constrained environments. And, and getting facial recognition to work at the edge. So it wasn't until 2017 where we stopped selling hardware and focused on building the best computer vision solution that we, we could. And so you know, I, I think that the potential is, is unbelievable for the overall computer vision industry. MIT just announced a $1 billion school to promote artificial intelligence. So you know, I, I think that as a society we're, we're starting to welcome the idea of, of machines being intelligent. Um, you know, it's not the same machines are taking over the world. I, I don't agree with that sentiment, but you know, if we can make faster decisions with better information, then we should invest in in that. So for you know, for Trueface, we are we're currently working with the U.S. government on access control for military bases. Uh, we're working with a lot of Fortune 500 clients for their commercial commercial uses. Uh, getting a lot more into to age verification solutions for. Uh, gam- the gambling industry and then the retail environment for alcohol and tobacco sales. So, you know, we definitely see a, a an opening market here. Um, it's one in which we're very, very excited about. You know, facial recognition is definitely here to stay, and and we honestly thank Apple in 2017 for for the the announcement of that phone. It wasn't the first time facial recognition was on a phone, but it's the first time that people were able to associate it with the brand that they trusted, and so. You it gave people an idea or a glimpse into what facial recognition could do from them for them on a personal basis,
1: and it's convenient. And you felt like, oh, this is this is good. This is making my life easier.
0: And you trust them, and you trust Apple because you don't have a reason not to. And so, you know, it definitely gave people. I, I think it, it 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 increased the inbound interest in our business by ten. Huh. And so, you know, because you're,
1: you're working at the edge, as you say, this expression means it's contained within the device. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So just to finish off in the areas I wanted to talk about was now you got facial recognition. What about recognition of emotions? Is that an area of exploration going down the path or is that just, that's way, where are we on that? Where where are you on that?
0: (laughs) Yeah. You know, we've, we've prototyped that technology. We've got people testing it internally right now in private beta. Um, It's something that we're not sure we're going to invest in yet. So the open source world has done a good job of putting out, you know, baseline. Here's happy, sad, angry, fearful, surprised, and and that's good. Um, the you know w- we're somewhat relying on the open source community to to bolster that that those results and to start building more. And and then you know I think where a private company like ours gets gets involved is can we start to train around micro expressions? Can we do it in real time in a retail environment? You know, it's somewhat Predictive analytics at that stage. Can we present something to someone and and guess how they're going to react to it based on 30 other people? And you know, I think the most interesting piece here is we don't need identities. You know, this is not this is not Identification of a human being. This is okay an individual roughly of this age, you know male or female Likes this product because they're happy for the three seconds. They looked at it So you don't need to identify someone to, to capture that information I think this is critically important because you look at brick and mortar and you look at online retail. Online retail knows exactly what you're hovering on, what you've clicked, where you clicked before, what's in your basket. So they have far more information to cater this experience towards you. Brick and mortar has none of that. They just know what sells and what doesn't sell. And so I think, you know, if if we want to continue to see brick and mortar innovating you need this type of feedback. You need real feedback and you need to know who's in your shop, how long they spend there, what they're looking at, if they bought, you know, what they bought, how often they buy. And emotion is a is a big component to that. How people are reacting to new products, how people, you know, engage with products. So I personally you know, I like the idea of, of investing in it, but we're just not at a stage yet where we wanna we wanna make that investment.
1: You know, of the, of the areas that you talk about in terms of the, the use cases, the one that jumps out to me typically is the security one. It's the one that's the most controversial. And if you're in the security area, you're also going to be want to look for suspicious. You want to right. look for devious. You want to look for lying if you're doing lie detecting. So th- there, there are a are, are whole avenue of, of uses, especially within the security area, that I'm thinking of would actually lead also to identification because I want to be able to identify like they did in Mexico, as I understand it, a project where they're able to to predict individuals who are about to commit a crime.
0: Right. The So the the way that you do that, um, which is something that, that, again, we're looking into, um, we're not doing it right now, but you have to have data of what an anomaly looks like. So you need baseline. You need baseline data. And you know one of the things that, that happened at a corporate office here before a you know a tragic shooting happened was that individual cased the building the, the two nights before in her car, and so that's an anomaly. You know that typically isn't seen in that environment at 10 p.m. So it's understanding what is our baseline for those environments, and is this person trying to hide from a camera? Do they look suspicious? Are they acting suspicious? You know, have they left a the bag for 15 minutes? And so I, I think you're absolutely right. I wouldn't go as far as pre-crime, but I would say it, it's it's helping helping understand what's happening in that environment in real time, so you can react a lot faster.
1: Yeah, and inevitably, of course, it's not just the face. You're going to be looking at other ticks and and other anomalies, like the fact that she's casing two days before. I want to finish then on, on the last part, which is in the capabilities that you assess for true face. You talk about face identification detection, spoof detection blurring of unknowns unique visitor counting and region of interest recognition so that is you know a lot of words but what would you say are the new frontiers where are you excited for the next levels uh, in in your area
0: the the age verification piece to me is very exciting because when we think about how the future of, of you and retail um, when you purchase alcohol tobacco when you purchase anything really in a store I think uh, this industry is moving to self-checkout, so it's moving to convenience and efficiency. And when you think about the interaction that you would have to have with someone to show an ID or you know to engage with them when you purchase something, it takes an extra three to five minutes in, in an otherwise very quick process. So we're seeing a lot of demand there, um, and it's something that we're excited about because we've got you know a great solution for it and a couple really big partners on it. Um, that to me is exciting. You know, I think getting into the self-driving world is not something that we're doing, but I like that technology because you know, everywhere you drive in the U.S. right now, you're in, you're in traffic, and you know, it's people on their phones, it's people doing makeup, they're eating breakfast, they spill the coffee, and so eliminating human you know human involvement there is something that I'm excited about. But it's it's years before we see that actually hit the roads.
1: Trueface Face is uh, based in L.A. Um, your business is worldwide?
0: Yes, we are uh, worldwide outside of China and Russia.
1: Outside of China and Russia. Brilliant. Well, listen, I, I think it's uh, very exciting. It's wonderful that we've had a chance to explore a little bit further what you're up to, Sean. Tell us how we can um, learn a bit more about your business, uh, maybe even track you down <laughs> or follow you anyway, you know.
0: Sure. Uh, www.trueface.ai. You can find more information on the company there. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Sean Moore. Um, and yeah, I mean, more than happy to answer any questions for people that want to email me, uh, Sean P. at trueface.ai or support at trueface.ai.
1: Super. Well, I'll put all those out in the show notes, Sean. Look forward to staying in touch. We have to connect and uh, stay staying together. What's going on in this world? And uh,
0: thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's great to see you.
2: In me, um. a convinced man in the arms of a woman despise revenges and struggle to see live for the challenge, so life's not incomplete. What's wrong with challenge? I know soon we all die. I like the feel of a stranger to the Precipitating the danger to feel free, trust in my reason, and let me show you why. Woman